Hey everyone, welcome back to season three of the Scrubbed In Show. Before we kick it all off, just want to shout out our new platform, Peer. Peer is a platform that allows us to share our knowledge through quizzes, to learn, to grow an audience, and to earn a passive income. Whether it's medicine, healthcare, or something outside of it all, whether it be design, coding, or finance, everyone is a learner and educator. Check it out at www.peer.io to get involved in the future of social learning. Let's kick off season three now. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. It's season three, which has promised to be even bigger, even better with an awesome lineup of guests. Who is one today? We have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. A.V. Mera, who by background is a medical doctor and is currently an associate partner for healthcare and life sciences at ABM. And even more interestingly, which I'm sure a lot of you know, is he's one of the co-founders of Doctorpreneurs, who for me kind of ignited this passion and opened up this new world. He's had such a diverse and versatile career, which we're going to touch on, kind of working as a clinical fellow in BUPA, working as leadership management positions, IBM Watson Health, so many things, such a spectacular career. Um, it's a massive, massive pleasure to have you on board today, Avi. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm good. Thank you guys, firstly, for having me on, on the show. Love the podcast, love what you're doing with it. So really happy to be here today. Definitely. I think there's so many things we can talk about with you, but I think, you know, sticking to the true scrubbed in tradition, we're going to take it all the way back to young Avi. You know, when you're a teenager, tell us the journey from you deciding to study medicine that you wanted to be a doctor and kind of bring us to present day? Sure, yeah. So going back to the so, sort of teenage years, so I, w- I was living up in Bolton in the northwest of England. That's where I grew I'm up. American. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, uh, that's right. And uh, lives nearby. <laughs> so and, and my parents are actually both GPs in Bolton. Um, and so for me, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a very complicated decision. I was thinking at the time, you know, I didn't really, I'll be honest, didn't really know what I was truly interested in at the time. And because my parents were both doctors, I had an elder brother who'd also just, the year above me, had also just applied for medicine and I'd gone to Imperial as well. I, I didn't really know what else to do at that time. I probably didn't have a passion, I would say, for, for being a doctor, truly, at age 16, 17. Uh, but obviously my parents' influence and, and all of their friends probably had a big influence on that decision. Um, and so so I did, I applied for medicine, um, was lucky to get a place at Imperial College. So I came down to London to study medicine in Imperial. Um, as you may know, it's it's the six-year degree there. So um, I had a, you know, a great opportunity to integrate during the fourth year in the business school. Really unique opportunity at the time to study management for the year. And really to go in and study different subjects, um, things like business strategy, innovation, healthcare, information, technology systems, um, entrepreneurship, and so forth. Completely different to obviously learning about the science and practice of medicine, but all learning all that in the context of healthcare. And looking back now, I, I look at that year as quite a pivotal year for me because it sort of planted those seeds of interest in things outside of sort of the science of medicine and and clinical practice and opened me up to this sort of new way of thinking around thinking more holistically about healthcare systems, the role of technology, uh, the role of innovation and and, and the the business side of healthcare. But I'll be honest, when I finished that integrated degree, I I had a great time during it. 
Um, but when I finished, I didn't really know what to do with these new, this knowledge and skills I'd developed. And so I carried on, finished medical school, um, and then did my foundation training in um, the Southwest Deanery. And I was looking for ways to sort of build on those initial interests that I developed in that year at the business school. And one vehicle I found was quality improvement. Um, there were a lot of synergies between sort of the quality improvement methodology that you're taught and, and also the lean startup methodology that you know, entrepreneurs use to, to build and scale out products. And I ended up getting involved in some quality improvement projects as a junior doctor. Um, one fairly big one in my F2 year when I was down in Brighton, where we essentially initiated uh, what ended up being quite an extensive trust-wide project to improve clinical handover. Um, started with just really pitching an idea at an innovation forum to, to, to at that time just implement a sort of new pro forma, but ended up sort of expanding to us designing, developing, implementing a digital handover solution integrated into the um, hospital's patient administration system. And we did that under, I did that, I sort of led that initiative, um, helped build a team under the guidance of the chief of safety at the trust, and then oversaw that whole project over a period of 18 months decided at the end of that F2 year not to go into sort of specialty training and, and took an F3 year um, and carried on sort of working at, at the trust in, a, in an honorary role as a locum uh, doctor, but then also sort of finishing that quality improvement project. And for me, that was my first real proper, I would say, hands-on experience of leading a project and more importantly, you know, sort of innovating in healthcare using technology. And I found I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the type of work. Um, it was hard. It was tough. It could have failed at any point, but we managed to implement the solution. Um, and it was a, an amazing learning experience. And I think it was during, and that gave me a little bit of confidence to say, you know, actually, um, this is interesting. Um, I'm building on sort of prior experience. And that's why I sort of used that F3 year then as a sort of experimental year to explore these interests more deeply. So I was finishing off this quality improvement project. That's actually when we, we launched Doctorpreneurs formally, and we can sure talk about that in more detail. And then I also actually went to the US for three months um, to study some more management courses. So I studied strategic management and management of technology and innovation at the Harvard Summer School. Um, great opportunity just to do sort of intense sort of summer program with the, that three months I had at the end of that three year. Again, to build on that knowledge that I'd built during the the management BSE. David, just kind of pausing you there. Yeah, yeah, sure. So you're a few years senior than us, right? And then there's this hyper on med tech, health tech. I have a feeling you were doing this when it wasn't as popular, as glamorized as it is now. Mm. What were your colleagues at the time doing and what were the opinion of you? You know, were they thinking, you know, you're being a fool for not going into training? Why so caught up on management and strategy when you should be on the shop floor looking after patients? Kind of tell us about the scene around that time when you were doing it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, the digital health boom as it is now hasn't, hadn't really started. We didn't have things like the clinical entrepreneur program and, and all the stuff that's that's going on today. So yeah, it was very much, I felt at the time that, you know, I was sort of, you know, a little bit of an anomaly in a way and um, often told by some of the sort of senior registrars and consultants to sort of, oh, leave that stuff till after you've uh, qualified as a consultant and, you know, um, don't worry about the management stuff now, you know, that'll come in 10 or 15 years time. And folk, like you say, focus on just the day job. Um, 
And that was part of the reason why we ended up sort of launching Doctorpreneurs because we were, and me personally, struggling to find sort of mentors or vehicles and channels to sort of channel that interest because there weren't many other people I could find, you know, interested in the things I was interested in um, and therefore sort of lacked that guidance. But I, I was lucky that Brighton as a trust was actually quite innovative at the time. And I did have a couple of individuals who were supportive um, including their chief of safety at the time, an innovation director. And they, again, sort of, you know, balanced out the sort of naysayers a little bit and allowed me to sort of explore those interests and say, yeah, you know what, actually what you're doing is interesting. Um, yet yeah, it's not the trodden path typically, but kind of go with what you're passionate about and, you know, your career's a long journey, see where it takes you and just don't close any doors though. Yeah, definitely. I think... You're kind of describing take the scenic route in your career, kind of avoid keeping your head down, smashing it out to become a consultant all too late to realise, you know, I don't really enjoy what I'm doing. There are other things I wish I had pursued. You kind of touched on doctorpreneurs. So you did Imperial, graduated, yep. did two years of foundation training, yep. went into F3, worked on this massive quality improvement project. And I think that was the start of this journey, moved you know, to America to do the fellowship. Tell us about... Doctorpreneurs, and I'm really interested in hearing the story because I went to a few of your events and yeah. I remember meeting Dr. Ash Patel, who was an anesthetist turned investment yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. principal, and it is it was a a whole new world for us, right? Kind of like you know this this is world outside of medicine, and you don't need to rush and you know rank first centile. So it's interesting to hear from you, you know, your co-founder, why you set it up, and that story to where it is now today. Sure, absolutely. So just a bit of background about what Doctorpreneurs is firstly, and then I'll, I'll go into the story. So for those who are not familiar with it, we're a nonprofit organization and really a global community for doctors, medical students and individuals who are really passionate about improving healthcare through technology, innovation, entrepreneurship. And over the years, you know, we've been around for a number of years now, coming up to sort of 10 years in total um, and done a number of things, different things over those years. But I'd say at its core, we've probably focused on three main areas. Um, the first being um, interviews, kind of like what you're doing with the podcast now, sort of interviewing doctors turned entrepreneurs and, and clinical innovators and sort of helping them to share their story and, and providing that inspiration and guidance to, to readers and community members. And we publish those interviews on our website. And the website also acts as a sort of central resource center, as a sort of landing page where doctors interested in the space can go to and find some resources and, and sort of get direction. Number two was events, as you touched on. We run events uh, over the years, including our startup school and partnered with other events, both in the UK and internationally, as a way of getting you know, like-minded individuals down to network and build relationships. And then finally was, is around opportunities. Um, and we, we have a sort of opportunities platform, really a jobs board where, because we have a sort of niche community and very targeted audience of clinicians who are interested in this space and have skills in sort of technology and innovation, we often get approached by startups and corporates looking to hire clinical talent, you know, medical directors, chief medical officers, clinical advisors. And so we, we, we can list their job adverts on our platform and, and sort of reach a targeted audience. And we've done other things over the years, like our student ambassador program and, and various other things. And so going back to sort of the founding of it. So the initial website was actually started by uh, one of the co-founders, Claire Overall, um, back in 2011. And, and she started it off initially as a sort of a solo project of herself. She she was starting to do some interviews and, and, and run a few events around London. Um, 
but then had had joined what is now Ada Health and and had run the sort of website for a couple of years, but then it's sort of gone dormant and there was no real activity. And and this was just as I was sort of um, doing my foundation training. I was thinking of launching. I was sort of looking around for these resources and and um, and, and websites and, and things. I, I saw the Doctorpreneur's website. I was thinking of launching something very similar because I'd noticed uh, there was, you know, not a lot of activity happening at the time. So I actually reached out to Claire. Um, we we met for coffee and, and we said we just talked about our backgrounds and what we were interested in, and really recognised there was a, there was an opportunity in the space to do something you know properly with this. More and more doctors and medical students were getting interested. There was an opportunity there that there weren't really any you know key resources and platforms to facilitate that. And so we got together with our other co-founders. Um, we brought in Vishal and Nick and four of us got together and just started brainstorming ideas and and then recognized that you know this was clearly a gap in the space at the time. Um, and so we said, look, you know let's let's run it. It's a passion project. We're all interested in it. We sort of didn't think too seriously about it at the time, but we just thought we'll use it as a vehicle to explore our own interests. And even if it doesn't become anything, at least we can kind of use it to channel our interests. And as we learn things, we'll share it with others and they'll learn from what we're learning. And it really just snowballed from there, from then on. And we launched it as a formal nonprofit in, in that F3 year, revamped the website, started doing more events, launched our startup school, built the opportunities platform, you know, launched the ambassador uh, program and just kind of, started to get fueled off the, actually the interest and enthusiasm from others in the space who started reaching out to us and saying, oh, wow, I'm, I'm interested in it. Can I get involved? And, and that sort of helped us to keep it going whilst doing all of our day jobs and navigating our career. And really, until now, we've always treated it really as, quite, as a passion project. You know, yes, it is an organization and we do have to sort of, um, of course, have to, you know, bring in some revenue to, to cover our costs and, and, and keep things going. But overall, we've, we've tried to keep it as as, um, as chilled and as relaxed as possible and just enjoyed sort of the process and, and the journey it's taken us on. And I'm sure all of us and my other co-founders would probably agree that it's been pivotal in all of our careers in helping us to navigate the space and also opening up opportunities for all of us. Amazing. Avi, I'd love to hear your take on doctors dabbling in entrepreneurship and moving into that space a is it healthy is it needed uh, is it a good thing because there are there still there still is a group of uh, i would say traditional thinkers who say no doctors should be blinkers on get to the end of the uh, end of the line become consultants look after your patients very very well is it healthy for people to just start branching off yeah it's a really good question um so firstly how I see, you know, sort of clinical entrepreneurship, my definition of it is quite broad, actually. And it's really around, you know, clinicians being empowered to solve problems in healthcare. Now, whether that's through being an intrapreneur and an innovator in the system, um, which is equally um, beneficial and, and important, or being an entrepreneur and sort of scaling out your own business, um, I think, you know, both are equally important. And I think it comes, you know, back to a few things. Firstly, sort of the entrepreneurial aspect of it, it's not for everyone, right? And I don't think it, you know, every doctor should be thinking about, you know, building a company and, and, and running away from medicine to do that. Because as you know, 
uh, through your own experiences and you speak to other entrepreneurs on the podcast, it's an incredibly difficult journey, incredible challenges. And it really isn't for everyone. It doesn't suit everyone's personality or what they want to do with their career. And, you know, leaving medicine to go and do that full time as well is an incredibly tough decision. So whilst it's not for everyone, I absolutely do agree that those doctors and individuals who do want to explore that as a passion and want to kind of take forward an idea and maybe turn it into a business that can then impact patients in a positive way and impact healthcare system. Absolutely, they should be given the support and we should be, you know, allowing them to, to, to explore these passions and interests alongside their training, just like we do with academia, just like we sort of encourage quality improvement. And just like, you know, we encourage other things. And that's why I'm glad to see programs like the Clinical Entrepreneur Program being launched, which absolutely sort of advocates for that and gives doctors a sort of, you know, a, a sort of badge of sort of, yes, you can go and do this and we're going to support you to do it. So look, there's pros and cons and we can get into that, the positives and negatives. But I'm firmly of the opinion that, you know, if, you, if you're if you're making an informed decision and you want to explore that, there should be a vehicle and there should be ways for you to do that without you having to decide to, to leave medicine and give up that um, and, and, and be supported by people, you know, within the system. No, definitely. Absolutely. A question that we get asked a lot and you might be a very good individual to answer it is there's a lot of medical students who are kind of seeing the NHS as it is now, you know, there's complaints of overworked, burnout, being exhausted. Um, and a lot of them have set their eyes in, in consulting analysts and let's say they graduate, they avoid doing foundation training and they go and work for a, a big company, right? You know, Bain & Co, whatever it may be. What are your thoughts on that? Do you recommend them to do foundation training at least to have some sort of clinical experience or, you know, kind of jump ship and go into some sort of consultancy firm? Because we get posed that and obviously we're not in an environment to kind of answer and give advice. Yeah. And, you know, this is my personal opinion. I personally believe, you know, um, everyone should try to practice um, at least for a few years um, to actually work and be responsible for patients, you know, as a, as a doctor and as a, as a licensed. And and I say, yeah, the minimum, you know, do, do your foundation years because that gives you a unique insight into the system that I don't think you get during medical school. Um, when you're on firms and stuff, it's different when you're actually responsible and you're carrying the bleep and care and carrying the responsibility. Um, obviously, it's caveated with there may be some individuals who get to the end of medical school and actually carrying on is potentially more detrimental to their health and well-being. And I think for those groups, I speak to and I spoke, I've, I've, I've met individuals like that. And, and for them, when you really deep dive and, and you unpick and you realize actually maybe, you know, leaving after medical school is right for them um for for diff for more complex reasons but overall i i do try to encourage every medical student i speak to to practice to at least do the foundation training and even then still keep on your registration i did i i i, I you know keep your registration keep your license for as, as long as you can while you can explore those other interests and and then see you know you never know how your passions and motivations change as your career develops and when you're at medical school and when you're graduating you're still very young overall and if i look back at when i graduated my gosh how my view on life and my career is totally changed in ways right that i never would have thought of at the time 
And so that's why I think, you know, my belief is, you know, just, just stay within the system, to practice a little bit if you can and if you're able to. And then there are these options like fellowships, taking an F3 year, doing other things which like the Clinical Entrepreneur Program that can allow you to explore the passions without having to sort of give up practicing as a doctor, just to give you more time to make a more informed decision about what you want to do long term with your career. No, definitely. Thank you for kind of sharing that wisdom. Kind of going back to your own journey, you managed to evade the claws of America and decided not to stay there and, and you know, get a nice fancy house, um, you know, live, live the good life. You came back, crossed the pond back to us in the UK. What happened next? What was the next phase of your journey? Yeah, so during my F3 year, just before I went to do that three-month stint in the US, I'd actually applied for a fellowship program, actually the, the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management's program, which is under the National Medical Director. And I was lucky, so I'd found out already, actually, before I'd gone to the US, that I'd been accepted onto that program, and I'd be joining Bupa um, at the start of the next sort of year. Um, so when I got back um, from the US, I, I started on this clinical fellowship program. And essentially, what it is, is you're, you know, a group of, you have to apply and go through application interviews and the doctors, usually about 25, 30 doctors at the time. Now it's expanded to other healthcare professionals as well. You're seconded for the whole year from clinical practice to an organization. And there are various different organizations on the program, you know, including the likes of Bupa, General Medical Council, NHS England, CQC, and so forth. And at the time, I was really keen to learn about the business of healthcare. And I saw I'd actually put Bupa as my first choice because I thought it'd be a really interesting experience. So I spent the next year as a clinical fellow at Bupa, working across sort of different business units, learning about their health insurance business, health clinics, um, working on a few different projects and, and enjoying being on the fellowship as well. Sort of it gives you exposure to other things outside of just the placement. And I ended up working during that year at Bupa a lot with their digital team. Um, and did a digital health team because they didn't actually have a clinician in their digital team. And I sort of saw an opportunity to get more involved in some of the projects. Um, and then at the end of that year, I was sort of again in that sort of decision mode. What do I do? I'm sort of two years out of training now. Did my F3 year, done the fellowship year. What do I do next? And I'm sort of, again, thinking of different options, consulting, startup, going back, doing sort of GP training. And actually I got an offer from Bupa to join them full-time as their clinical lead for digital health. Um, yeah. And I thought, wow, just, that, yeah, carry on, sure. Just stopping you there. So the the so in medicine, there's loads of terms in front of med tech, health tech, digital health. If yeah. you don't mind, just for the sake of our listeners, can explain what does digital health involve? Uh, so then they get a good idea in terms of what you're working within. Sure, I, I think it's it's a good question because there are a lot of buzzwords these days. and yeah. and often those terms are used interchangeably. I think the way I view digital health in its broadest sense, and there are some good definitions like the HIMSS definition, but really around using technology to enable the improved delivery of care for patients, mm. right? And, mm. and that encompasses everything from hardware, software, devices, um, genomics, and, and so forth. And really, I, I look at it in that holistic sense. Um, but at the time, you know, you're right, you know, digital health meant different things to different people and different yeah. companies. And so what, they're, what they were trying to do within the context of digital health could vary dramatically depending on which organization and what projects you're working on. So from my mm. perspective, because Bupa was a health insurer and health provider, 
it was really around thinking about how we could use technology yeah. and different technological capabilities to improve the experience for their customer, essentially the patient, either mm-hmm. purchasing health insurance or going through their health clinics, hospitals and care homes. Um, mm. And so that sort of hopefully sets a bit of context around what I was yeah. working in. Mm. During that time, was there a big discrepancy between the adoption of technology for kind of private insurers, private companies like Bupa compared to what you saw in the NHS? How big was that gap? Um, was it becoming starkly obvious to you the way things were moving towards? Yeah, it's, I think, to be honest, both sides were struggling because of the complexity mm. of healthcare, whether you're in the private sector or in the public sector. Um, you know, the, 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 the complexities in terms of how the healthcare system works, the regulatory challenges, the complexity of different purchases, providers, and all the different pathways meant anybody trying to sort of introduce new technology um, and have a meaningful impact in patient, on patient care was, was not having the easiest of times. And obviously there were a lot of new technologies, artificial intelligence, machine learning, cloud computing, blockchain, all sort of coming out at the same time. And yeah. whether you're in the private sector or public sector, a lot of people will find it hard to make sense of, okay, how can we use this? Mm. Is this, you know, are we ahead of the curve? And what can we, how can we actually implement this in a tangible way? Um, I would say to some extent, of course, you know, the private sector maybe was a tiny bit ahead in some areas, like in their ability mm. to implement, you know, virtual consultations and, and, and bring in other sort of digital well-being propositions, maybe yeah. more quickly than the NHS could overall. Mm. Um, but I'd say there were still challenges on both sides. Definitely. I'd like to ask a question which contrasts and compares working in clinical practice and in digital health. For doctors, uh, it's a bit alien, you know, to think I've been trained throughout medical school to think like a clinician, to sort of take histories, recognize a pattern, put a management plan into place. If someone, if a listener now was to think, hold on, you know what, I am interested in digital health. How easy is it for a, a doctor to actually apply those skills in something so alien as digital health that medical school rarely teaches you about? And B, if someone was interested, what steps can they take to actually, you know what, get into Bupa one day in one of those roles? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I think, and you know, you see lots of examples of this, I think there are a lot of transferable skills in terms of what you learn in your training as a medical student, as a doctor, that are hugely relevant to working in sort of the digital health space in a more sort of managerial capacity or in a leadership capacity. And again, working in digital health can be very broad, right? It could be in a startup environment. It could be in a, in a corporate it could be in a research setting, but it can also be working in digital health in a clinical setting as well and combining the two. Um, so firstly, absolutely. I think there are a lot of transferable skills. You know, the approach to problem solving that you learn as a doctor, incredibly important um, to sort of how you how you problem solve working in sort of the digital health space. The, the understanding of healthcare and kind of having a, a unique vantage point and view of the pain points as a doctor again, set yourself up perfectly to have a great, you know, impact in the digital space. Because often, you know, you, you can't solve, you can't work in digital health with just engineers and designers and managers. You need that clinical viewpoint to bring the voice of the, the doctor, the voice of the patient, the understanding of the pain points and the workflows to the picture. And, and again, lots of transferable skills. Communication skills as well set, you, set yourself up 
in terms of working more corporate and managerial settings really well. So there are lots and lots of transferable skills um, that you can sort of take to work in that massive umbrella of, of digital health. And to your next question in terms of how you go about doing it. And look, you know, this is this will vary for different people and will vary depending on the setting you want to work within. Because again, there's so many different roles you can work in from, you know, being a, a clinical advisor, an innovator, chief medical officer, medical director, and so forth. So, you know, I have to caveat it with that there may be different approaches depending on the type of role you want to have in the digital health space. But in general, a couple of things. Firstly, and I say this a lot, firstly, you have to take a step back to reflect and understand more about yourself and your motivations. Regardless of what you want to work in, whether it's digital health, consulting, pharma, life sciences, you need to have a better understanding of you as an individual, your passions, your motivations, and reflecting and sort of auditing that is really important as a foundation. Once you have that and you kind of have a vision of roughly what you want to kind of do in the future, then it's around a couple of things, sort of skills and knowledge development. And, you know, you can do that. So from a knowledge perspective, listening to things like your podcast to understand more about the space and other relevant podcasts, reading books, you know, about the health tech and digital health space, loads of online open courses where you can do a short course in things like, you know, digital transformation healthcare or AI and machine learning in healthcare. I mean, you don't need to go and do masters or MBAs or year long degrees. You can get enough from a sort of eight week course to, again, give you some context give you some understanding and give you some thing to build on. And again, learning from sort of different vehicles and and, and really trying to build that knowledge of, 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 of the space and what does technology mean in healthcare? What are the different technologies? How is it being impl- implemented successfully? And then to complement the knowledge you're developing, building skills. And the best way to build skills is to get involved, right? And I talked about, you know, quality improvement earlier. Experiential learning is absolutely key. So start a quality improvement project. It doesn't have to be a big, massive thing. It could just be a very small initiative and, and get involved. You know, there are internships you can do where you can sort of pick up a side gig and, and join a digital health startup in a, for a three-month position and, and learn on the job and learn what it's all about without having to jump ship. Um, and other sort of opportunities like fellowship programs that maybe be more geared to learning about the digital space. And then if you really want to, you can obviously take out time to do masters and deep dive further into, you know, do a master's in sort of data science and AI, and if that's your interest. Um, and then really it's about sort of building on that and taking opportunities as they come along, right? You never know which way, what, what opportunities are going to come your way. And I think taking those opportunities when they come, if it's aligned with your career interests, incredibly important. So don't strategize too much around, I'm going to hold out for Google to call me, you know, or IBM to call me, um, because that may take time, but you may have a different opportunity to just do a small project with an individual and get some tangible outcomes from it and learning experience. And I think that's where mentors come in, really important. So again, another big thing, really helped me, try and look out for mentors who can help you, people who've gone through what you've, what you're aspiring to do, kind of can share their journey and the challenges they've been on and give you guidance and unlock and open up opportunities. And so there are probably more tips and advice I can give, but I think to begin with, yeah. you know, starting with those pieces of advice mm. will, will mm. put you in good stead. No, definitely. Amazing. T- tell us a little bit also about the, the uncertainty 
that is sort of around that environment because with medicine right i really feel it's really safe you know yeah. it's a it's a it's a really safe career you're climbing one specialty grade every single year and you know where you end up um sometimes i think because we we interview a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of um people in the digital health space and sometimes it sounds really easy you know and i think there's a it's very rocky it's very uncertain but i want to hear your opinion what's the journey in your opinion like usually no you you're totally right it's 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 a sharp contrast from um training and practice as a doctor because of that prob- volatility and that constant change that you probably experience from a personal career perspective more in you know when you move into the sort of corporate or entrepreneurial world than you may do as a doctor and like you said when you're working as a doctor you have a sort of path you know charted out for you that if you keep jumping through those hoops you'll 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 finish your training graduate as a consultant finish as a consultant i'm sorry and uh and, and have a you know a job lined up potentially for life and i think you're absolutely right i think a lot of doctors um sort of you know misunderstand and uh, underplay actual that volatility involved in the sector and we've seen it through through the last couple of years right with with the covid pandemic and you've seen what's happened in terms of um layoffs and people being made redundant and that's something i don't think when you're a doctor you ever think about you know that concept of do i have a job in 6 months time um or what happens if the business suddenly changes strategy and i have to then rethink what my value proposition is and what i'm going to do next so it's definitely rocky it's definitely not for the faint hearted and i think you know i often get told this and i'm sort of trying to embrace this myself when you're moving into these roles you have to find a way of being comfortable being uncomfortable sort of like accepting that change is the only constant and that you may not have that charted path out for you but that's okay and you're okay with that and psychologically preparing yourself for those bumpy roads and but don't get me wrong you know i fully appreciate clinical training and 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 work as a consultant is equal you know probably more challenging and demanding but in different ways and i think it's just that difference is that sort of you know difference between the two that's important to dis- distinguish it it, t- it kind of takes us back to the first point you said in how to if you were considering a career in digital health i think you do have to first step back and sort of just look at yourself and see yeah. what what are you comfortable with and what you want from your life and your career um and i agree with that being the number one sort of step to take before doing anything definitely uh, you know what's your anything. family situation personal situation yeah. what's your risk appetite you know because mm-hmm. all these things have an influence it's 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 like you exactly. said incredibly important definitely exactly going back to your journey you're kind of working at bpar kind of helping in the digital health department tell us about the transition you made so once again you kind of embracing the change when and kind of assumed the role at IBM right uh or did anything happen in between that jump there yeah so i spent just over 2 years at bupa in total sort of one year on the fellowship and then one one and a bit years in the role as their clinical lead within their digital health team but to help with my transition i was actually still practicing one day a week when i was in that role yeah again to sort of de-risk it and it was actually encouraged by my director of bupa at the time he said you know i want to give you a day to do clinical work because in case you don't like this and in case in a year year and a half's time you you kind of realize actually it's not for you i want you to be able to you know 
not feel like you've risked everything. And so I did actually pick up a gig um, working in a private clinic one day a week. Um, so I was still seeing patients um, and doing four days a week at Bupa. And I think that helped with my transition as well because I didn't feel I'd, you know, kind of sort of risked everything. And left it all to see. And I exactly. think it's good you mentioned that because these are the things, unless you speak to someone you know, because I think a lot of people have the mindset, you have to stop clinical practice altogether and kind of take a plunge into the deep end. Whereas what you've just said, has made this a bit more appealing where you can still kind of dip your toe into the digital health sector while still practice clinical medicine and kind of be like, you know, get the best of both worlds until you know which way you want to go moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of organizations actually encourage it and um, and are flexible with clinicians who are, you know, joining in different roles and will often recognize sometimes, depending on the role they're joining and the importance of them, staying in clinical practice for a day or two a week. And it will vary depending on the role and depend on that person's background. Amazing. Could you give us a, a, a physical, an idea of um, what it's like to be involved in a project within a company like IBM or Bupa in ex exactly what you were doing? Yeah. So when I, I, I let's, let's go into IBM and then I can add that context. And I can tell you about some of the stuff because that's where I probably spent the bulk of my career. So after, so, two and a bit years of Bupa, I'd actually got a, you know, IBM had just launched their new sort of healthcare technology and AI business unit, IBM Watson Health. Um, and they were looking for clinicians with a sort of technology and consulting background from different geographies to come and help build a global clinical team. And so I, I'd heard about the opportunity, I'd applied, gone through the interview process and was lucky to join IBM and join Watson Health recent, you know, shortly after they'd launched the business unit at the end of 2016. So I've been at IBM for almost five years now. And, you know, joining at that time, sort of my role was helping to sort of being part of, but then helping to also build this global clinical team, which was sort of five team members when I joined and sort of when I, um, we grew it to about 42 team members globally. And our role was sort of multifaceted. You know, as a clinician within, the, within companies like IBM, you end up wearing many different hats. And so for the first four years of, my time in IBM and Watson Health, my role was sort of split into a few different areas. So I'd say 40% was sort of product focused. So we, we IBM was developing a, a suite of clinical decision support solutions, sort of AI powered systems. And at the time, my focus area was oncology and genomics. And we were sort of responsible for being the clinical team, that clinical voice to work with design, work with development, work with the offering management teams and support them from a clinical perspective and do that with, with a range of solutions, but also support the wider business with, with some of the wider efforts as well. 40% then were sort of client facing. So as hospitals and organizations were wanting to explore some of the technologies that IBM had, and also some of these systems we were building, we would then be leading and supporting that sort of client implementation adoption effort in the field. And this was all over the world. So working in China, in, in Japan, in, in the US, in, in Europe, with different organizations who were sort of looking to explore these new technologies and implement systems and, and see how they could impact patient care. And, and really us being part of that delivery team to, to drive sort of the implementation, drive the adoption, understand the user pain points and sort of take that back and, and help evolve the solutions internally with our teams. And then 20% was sort of split between other things like supporting business development activities and pre-sales, supporting our research team, with research activities and then supporting things like thought leadership. So, you know, and hopefully that provides a bit of context in terms of, you know, 
some of the activities I was working on and have been, and I'll talk about my current role a bit later. But, um, you know, to give you an example, um, just to provide a little bit deeper context, you know, one of the solutions we were working on at the time was sort of a clinical decision support solution focused on oncology and a system that could support oncologists and the oncology care team with sort of treatment planning and, and, and delivering sort of personalized medicine for their patients. And just to give you an example of what it's like being on, on a project, like I said, no, no day was typically the same, right? You could be, and remember, IBM's a global company, so, and I'm based in London working with global teams, so I could be starting off my day, you know, on a WebEx call with, you know, teams all over the world to sort of kick off what we were doing for that day, um, then maybe assign some work to go away and do some sort of testing on the system myself, you know, for a couple of hours. Um, and then again, more virtual collaboration with, with teams in the US, again, through WebEx virtually. And, and that could be one day where, you know, you're working virtually and then other days where we'd be traveling and be, we'd be off at the client site, where, wherever it may be in the world, leading a project with the client to help them implement a solution that we've been working on or, or traveling to the US to, to work with our development and design team in person and running workshops or supporting a pre-sales engagement, you know, with our, with our sales team and helping them. So it was a really varied experience and it continually changed also as I took on different leadership roles. So I started, you know, as a consultant within the team, then took on sort of a leadership role, leading the genomics clinical aspect of the team and then ultimately leading the global clinical team for, for just over a year as well. And obviously, as you start taking on different leadership roles, your role changes as well. And so then I got more internally focused with management and operational tasks, sort of how you build a team and how you operationalize the team internally and how you manage team members and build processes internally and, and sort of keep things running within the huge environment of IBM. Um, and again, you know, it's hard to pack in different things. So I'll pause there um, in terms of the first four years and then I'm happy to talk about my current role and sort of what I'm currently yeah. doing as well. Just before we jump into your current role, you touched on leadership a lot. Yeah. Um, and as, as medics, as, you know, professionals, leadership is highly encouraged. Tell us what leadership means to you and what makes a good leader. You know, it's a big thing and I encourage everyone to be leaders. Um, so kind of share that with us, if you don't mind, Ivy. Yeah, sure. So, I mean... It's a great question and leadership for me and you know everyone has different leadership styles you know it's it's really around how you can influence and organize a group of individuals around a common goal and shared vision and it comes down to different things around your knowledge your skills your values and capabilities and for me as a leader i i embrace a sort of more of a coaching style of leadership where it's really not about sort of micromanaging individuals and trying to sort of, you know, um, sort of follow upon their every task, but providing the context and providing the right environment and the right culture through which individuals can not only accomplish great things and sort of be productive and, and focus on what they need to do, but also grow as an individual themselves learn new skills, learn new knowledge and, and, and develop. And um, I think it's really important, you know, whether you're working in, you know, an NHS in a clinical role or whether you're working in a corporate or whether you're working in a startup to really think about, you know, the environment you're creating 
for the people you're working within and 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 the context you're setting, the culture you're fostering, and then the direction you're giving and, and sort of how you're able to empower and influence individuals who you're working with um, to do really good things. And I think, like I said, as a doctor, incredibly important when you're working in a critical, high-pressure situation to, to have, be able to have and develop those skills. Um, and a lot of it's around soft things like your communication skills, you know, being able to communicate very effectively, being able to delegate effectively and clearly, um, being able to hand over things, you know, whether as a clinician or, or in a project, so that things don't drop between whether it's a, a clinical shift or between projects. And and there's a lot you can unpick in that, but that's sort of my initial take on, on what leadership means oh, to me. Definitely. Amazing. I think something else which is important to touch on and which we try to do is we bring on guests and they have such an amazing journey, so many accolades, um, and we feel to realize they're also human like ourselves. Tell us about moments when things were difficult, things were hard, you know, you didn't have this high-flying career, any obstacles you had to face and how you overcame them? Because I know a lot of people are probably stuck in a difficult situation and need that bit of help. No, it's a great question and I'm glad you asked it because absolutely many, I know it sounds, you know, because we often focus on some of the positives and, and exciting aspects of the career journey, but behind that, you know, lots of different challenges and hurdles and 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 still, you know, I feel like I'm still early on in my career and still navigating today and still trying to figure out what I want to do, you know, in the near future, in the long term. Um, so I've definitely by no means got it figured out at all. And I want to make that clear to to, to all the listeners um, that that's absolutely the case. So, you know, I think there've been challenges at different parts of the journey, right? If you go back to sort of um, being an F1 and F2 doctor, um, working in the pressure and, and of, of the NHS and trying to do things on the side and trying to keep organized to keep it all going, right? To be juggling different things is is hard. And sometimes it can be tough to, you know, find the time to pursue those other interests and passions because you're just focused on the day job and you're burnt out because you've just done a not huge amount of nights and on calls and 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 you don't have time to then go to a health tech conference or listen to a podcast or really embrace it. And that for me, having what helped me was having people around me that would sort of provide support to, you know, recognize that that was an interest of mine and maybe like, you know, provide a bit of time and a bit of flexibility in, in sort of the work I was doing to be able to explore those interests without having to sort of work every weekend on it. Um, and that comes back to things like mentors and, and coaches um, as well. I think also, you know, navigating that whole decision of, and just, just to clarify, when I joined IBM, I then made the decision early on to actually stop practice for, for a few different reasons. So I did ultimately make a decision to stop practice because I decided, because of an international role, it was it was it was a bit incompatible with the role I'd taken on to do both and do both well, and feel comfortable being a, a practicing clinician one day a week and also do the IBM role. So I just went all in with IBM, and I think again, very difficult decision to make. Um, again, trying to speak to as many people around me who'd done similar things, speaking to like the BMA, the GMC around what are the different options I can do. Do I have to give up my registration as well? realize, no, I didn't, I can keep my registration, I can pause my license, and if I needed to come back, I could reactivate it later. But again, you don't know these things at the time. You know, you're discovering, um, and so asking people who've been through a similar 
situation to you is incredibly important. And then within the roles themselves, so when you take on managerial responsibilities and you're dealing in a very volatile, high-change, high-pressure environment, and I'm talking now about the corporate side of things, whether it's Bupa or IBM, things are changing all the time. You know, your CEO may be changing, the strategy might be changing, your job role and function might be changing. And it's quite difficult for you to suddenly grasp that. And also you may be dealing with also things like redundancies in the organization as well and, and, and how you have to coach team members through that. They don't teach, it's very hard to learn those skills, right, around, um, you know, how you can coach individuals and, and yourself through that high volatile and high change environment, how you continuously have to redefine and, and, and refine your value proposition as, a, as, a, as an individual and build new skills and adapt to what the, the company is trying to do. So those would be some of the key challenges, I'd say. Um, there, are, there are obviously many more. Um, I think the one thing as well that's helped me in terms of juggling everything, because obviously running Doctorpreneurs, kind of exploring all the interests, was trying to develop a sort of organized mindset and an organized way of doing things. So I just tried to be really organized, use different tools that can help me be organized and try to focus on a few different activities so I don't get overwhelmed. And I think that can also be difficult sometimes for doctors to do is just the principle of how do you organize yourself and go about your day. Yeah. Definitely. While struggling all those balls, right? How do you also juggle the fact that you have a life outside yeah, of work? Exactly. Because by the sounds of it, 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 it that's a lot of stuff that you're juggling. Where's the where's the life ball? Where's that? Oh, that's number one. Absolutely top. 100%. And you know, I've I, you know, I've, I've got a wife and a young baby daughter who's it's only 5 ah, months amazing. now. Uh, and obviously my wider family as well and I want to spend time with them and my friends. And yeah, it's, it's about having those non-negotiables I, I often refer to where you try to put in, you know, wherever possible, you know, you have to be flexible a little bit as well, but some rules and some non-negotiables so that you make sure there are certain times of the day or week or during the month where you switch off and you take your vacation, you take every day of vacation, you know, and spend it and, and spend that quality time. And I really, you know, I, I did things, I took email off my phone, right? Because I found myself, I was checking email 8, 9 p.m., 10 p.m. And I realized that's, it's not healthy, right? Every day you have to be able to switch off. And sometimes you have to just turn it off and just delete the app and disable it, disable notifications. Otherwise, it's overwhelming. So for me, number one is the life and family ball. Um, everything else is secondary to that. You know, if you're not healthy, if you're not happy, and if you don't have that support structure around you, I think it's very hard to be fulfilled in your career. No, absolutely, definitely. I think you've had such a diverse career till date. Where do you kind of see yourself in the future? I know it's like a it's a it's a it's a, it's a ballpark question and it's out there. But um, what would you like to have achieved in the next few years or so? Um, it'd be quite interesting for us to know from our listeners as well. Yeah, sure. So just just to round off the story, um, so I actually actually took on a new role in IBM about a year ago. Um, as IBM was going through a lot of changes as a business, sort of going through a bit of a reinvention and focusing down on a few areas, I decided to move from Watson Health into what's called their Global Business Services Division, where I'm an associate partner currently. And that's more sort of focused on the consulting services side of things. Um, so still involves product, still involves technology, more around sort of, again, helping organizations 
in healthcare and life sciences to solve problems, leveraging not only technology, but also the consulting services expertise. And so I'm about a year into that role. It was, again, a new challenge for me um, to take on this role. And I'm learning a lot through it. But again, in terms of the future now, you know, I try to, and I've always done this, I try to have a sort of North Star, a personal mission for myself of, you know, roughly where do I, what do I want to be working in, in five, 10, 15 years time. And for me, it's, it's still around, you know, I want to be involved. I want to be in the healthcare space, number one, right? I don't want to be anywhere else. That's the industry. That is my industry. That's where, you know, my skill set is. I absolutely want to be sort of in technology and leveraging technology and innovation and, and, and trying to be at that intersection of sort of clinical, commercial and technology fields in healthcare. So that's roughly where I want to be and what I want to continue doing. And as long as I feel as I'm having an impact on the healthcare system, on patients, and also learning and developing skills myself, I don't mind where the journey takes me. So, you know, maybe I might have aspirations through doctorpreneurs, right? And what we've done there to, to launch my own venture in the future, that's absolutely one possibility and, and, and scale out a larger company. Or I could, you know, may want to continue in, in the corporate world and, and maybe, you know, see what, what the IBM journey takes, takes me on. And so what I try to do and I try to say to other people is I try to not be prescript, too prescriptive about how I get there. Um, but I just try to re-audit myself, you know, on a yearly basis and make sure, am I doing, am I kind of heading in that North Star direction where I want to be? Am I learning new skills and knowledge? Am I enjoying my work? Do I feel like I'm making impact and contributing? And am I getting time to enjoy time with my family and friends? And if, you know, I'm, t- I'm ticking most of those things, I'm happy. So, you know, look, probably doesn't answer your question in the way you wanted me to. Um, no, because honestly, I don't know what the future holds. No, that, <laughs> that's uh, perfect because there no, is no certainty. Uh, we, we, are, we ask that and, and yeah. we, you know, uh, our job is kind of get as much information from you and kind of get, you know, relay that back to the listeners. Um, which and look, is let me, another thing just which on is, that, just, yeah, um, go for it. just to mention around, again, sort of thinking about clinical practice, look what happened with COVID and the pandemic. And, you know, I was one of the many doctors who was relicensed, uh, had seriously thought about returning um, for complex reasons and various reasons I wasn't able to in the end. Um, but it absolutely, you know, I never thought, you know, after having stopped practice that I would have been going through this period of thinking, oh, wait a minute, should I be going back and maybe maybe clinical practice is part of my future, right? Yeah, and I, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Like um, having spent all these years and kind of, you know, all of a sudden you might need to go back. Do you miss the clinical side of things? Do you miss that patient, you know, walking yeah. through the door? You know, where medics are hot. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You, Do you miss it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course, of course. And I'd be, I'd be surprised if any, you know, ex-doctor said they didn't miss aspects of it, right? And like you said, particular around the patient contact and the immediacy of the impact that you can have as a doctor which maybe you don't get in, in some of the other roles where you're building a roadmap for two or three years and working on projects for a long time. So absolutely there are aspects that you miss and you're nostalgic about. Um, but it's important that you balance that sort of nostalgia and with, with practical reality. And although I miss aspects of it, when I come back to what I'm doing and what I'm working on and am I happy with the current direction? Absolutely. You know, and and I still feel right now for me, and I went through that exercise of determining, is clinical practice part of my future now being four or five years out of it? 
should I go back and kind of reintegrate it? And, I, and the decision right now was actually no, you know, it, it, it's not right because I'm, I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z. And maybe for what I'm trying to do personally, clinical practice is, is not, you know, it is not the right thing to bring back in, but I, I would never rule it out. And I so I still maintain my registration with the GMC. I still make sure that I feel connected and I, I, I would never say never, but right now for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm not planning a return anytime soon. No, definitely. Amazing. I, I think what's interesting is you, it's like a lot of, despite the risky behavior and kind of jumping through different sectors, it's still very informed mindset. You're very clear in terms of what you want for yourself, where you want to go. Um, so that's something that we're, we're in awe about. I think conscious of time and, you know, not taking up too much for some, I appreciate you're busy. You know, you described yourself as like you had a, like a portfolio career and, I, I, you know, I'm sure you'll be even more successful. What advice would you give to those other budding individuals that are kind of coming up, trying to f- kind of follow your footsteps and do what you're doing? What is the, the cheat code, the playbook? <laughs> there's, 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 no, there's no cheat code. Look, you know, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, there's no. There is, yeah. look, I, like I said, I'm still on the discovery process myself and I'm still learning. And I think, again, what you guys are doing and others in the space is incredible as well. And all learning from, from, from all the amazing things that people are doing. I guess, you know, I just reflect on some of the things that have worked for me. That's probably the best way to frame it in terms of, again, may not work for everyone. It comes back to a few things, you know, I said earlier on in the podcast around really taking time to understand yourself and your motivations and your passions and don't just do it once but do it regularly and it's hard to do because sometimes especially as doctors when we when we you know you we apply for medical school at like age 17 and you go at age 18 and you've probably never gone through that exercise of truly understanding who you are and what you're interested in and before you know it you're in medical school and then before you know it you've graduated as a doctor and you've probably never taken the time to actually really think about it and ask yourself those hard questions. And I, I do recommend people do that and do it on a regular basis. And I actually write it down. You know, I use a Google Drive folder and I write down that audit of myself each year and I go back and it's very interesting to see what my thoughts were at the time. And, and if you can't, if you're struggling with it, because it is hard to do, not everyone can suddenly just uncover what they're interested in. I, I say get, get people to help you. And that's where this sort of mentorship and coaching comes in. You know, and... Um, people who can help you work through those um, conversations to sort of uncover what your what, what your philosophy is and what your um, ambitions are and, and what questions you need to ask yourself to kind of uncover that. Um, so I think starting there provides you with a great foundation. Um, but that's not enough, right? You have to be practical about it as well. Of course, be ambitious. And, and have goals and have and, and 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 set big ambitions for your life. And I think absolutely we should we should all be empowered to do that. But don't feel you have to achieve it in on day one or in year one. And I say it to a lot of medical students who are looking to set up a startup during medical school. I'm like, don't try and juggle too many things at the same time, right? Focus down on a few key things. Focus on incremental improvement. Just focus on that sort of incremental knowledge gain, skill development. Don't be too pressured. I say, you know, there's a lot of distraction out there with social media. Um, social media has great benefits, absolutely. I fully see those and I, I embrace those with entrepreneurs and some things I do myself. But equally, it can be incredibly distracting to continually be seeing what other people are doing and thinking, should I be doing that? 
or you know feeling like you're not achieving enough because you've not launched your startup yet and so i think try and balance things out and 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 take your time and and really think about things in the long term and, and try and not be too distracted by what's going on by other people focus on yourself learn from others but make your own decisions right and then be consistent about the things you choose to do so you will choose and you will make trade-offs and that's what strategy is all about choices and trade-offs and the choices that you do make at that time focus on them see them out and then iterate and, imp- and, 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 and and change tact but you know it's about being consistent as well you know and and I often say, and I hear this quite a few times, and I've said it a few times, you know, consistency is the mother of mastery. So if you're consistent regularly, you you will master things. Um, but most importantly to all of that is sort of, I feel, and I embrace this philosophy around investing in yourself as an individual more than any other job or venture. So whether you're in a company or you're building a, building your own, invest more in yourself than you do in those sort of ventures. Because, you know, you never know where that venture or that company is going to take you, but at least whatever you invest in yourself from a personal and professional development perspective, you're going to have for life. And it's going to influence you in ways you'll, you may not realize in your, in your personal life, in your family life, and in your career. And I think bring it all together and having balance. Um, and as we talked about earlier, you know, maintaining those priorities in terms of life, family, health, and well-being is absolutely critical mm. and will, will, will put you on the right path Definitely that's what's helping amazing me. yeah i feel like the last segment turned into like a mini coaching session for us and just kind of infused us it's very that, good that's how we get free coaching yeah. we ask exactly. that one question at the end yeah. absolutely no absolutely. I, I i love it and um yeah. we just want to kind of thank you for for sharing your journey um we've touched on lots of different topics and i'm sure a lot of our listeners will find value in it um you seem very pragmatic, very proactive. And I love the one thing you said that resonated with me is like have lofty ambitions, have amazing, mm. you know, a North Star, big, big goals. And, and it's not about going and achieving them. It's just have that, have something to work towards. And, you know, you touched on the social media aspect of things. I think, you know, medics tend to be involved in, you know, lots of different societies at university. Yep. You know, they're involved in, you know, five or 10 different quality improvement projects. You know, they're doing everything under the sun, tick box exercise and not really kind of honing down on one or two things that really do make an impact, do really make a difference. Exactly. So I'm glad you touched on that, uh, which is very, very important for our listeners and our viewers to listen to and learn. No, and look, I just want to thank you guys for inviting me on the podcast as well. And I'm always happy for any of the listeners to reach out to me. I'm always happy to make time. Um, easiest way, so I've got a personal website, avimero.com, and you can fill in the contact form there or through Doctorpreneurs and, and email avi at doctorpreneurs.com. So, yeah, Definitely. We will share the link to kind of getting hold of you. Yeah. Um, there might be a few people reaching out, so please do kind of help them out. Uh, but yeah, a massive pleasure to you uh, for having you on board and a massive thank you to our listeners as well. 